Hey, what's going on everybody? Michael Barr here with Bar Time Anytime. No, it's been a while since I uploaded um, a podcast, but thought this was kind of a good time to do it. Uh, the Lions are starting to ramp up their season and we kind of have a sense for the team that they are or may be. Um, MSU football didn't want to really start um, beginning of the season, wanted to see how that kind of played out as well as we were kind of playing a, a few nobodies, which ended up being a loss in Arizona State. Not saying they're a nobody, but kind of figured we would have handled business there, and now we just need a debacle that's happening. We got five transfers going down today. Cam Chambers uh, left, who was a big-time recruit. I know some of my friends think you know, he, he wasn't the best player. Um, I know he was really focused on his law degree, but it just kind of adds the narrative that Four of the five offensive player, or four of the five transfers were offensive players, and just kind of their, um, you know, tolerance and finally being fed up with the offense in the state that it's currently in at Michigan State, and really just the program overall. So, didn't really want to touch too much on Michigan State football. A little bit of a sore matter for everyone, but might get into it uh, towards the end of the podcast. I'm not sure. TBD. Kind of get a ebb and flow here um, once I kind of start getting into it. Um, so another thing that's kind of coming up here and what also kind of came to an end was Pistons preseason, uh, has concluded and the regular season is about to start. So, um, I kind of want to dedicate this podcast primarily to the Pistons and the Lions and just kind of my thoughts and expectations, um, and specifically for the Pistons, you know, what we should do about this roster. Um, so kind of formulating the podcast around that. So without further ado, I uh, just want to kind of get into it here. So starting off with the Lions. So we obviously all know what happened in that Green Bay game. Um, there was the two hands of the face penalties on Trey Flowers in the last um, quarter, um, which one of which ended up giving Green Bay a first down and enabling them to run out the clock. Um, had they made a field goal, which would have been, I don't know, in the 38 to like 45 yard range, um, which, you know, with Mason Crosby, you can almost you know ink it down that he's going to make it. Although he has had trouble with Detroit in the past, I would expect him to make that kick at home. Um, given he makes that kick, Lions are down 23-22 with a minute 30 left, minute 40 left. Matthew Stafford, no timeouts. Um, you know, let's say they get the ball to 25. Realistically, with Prater there, they have to go, you know, 40 yards. I think that's pretty doable in a minute and a half, and he has Lions fans wondering what if. Um, but I think the main focus is too much on what the referees did wrong um, and instead what the Lions didn't do right. So if you guys listen to Mike Valente, I would say that I echo him um, hand in hand when it comes to a lot of things, um, whether it be Spartan football, Michigan State basketball, the Pistons, um, and in this case specifically the Lions and kind of how fans were handling that loss on Monday Night Football to the Packers and everything that came from the Trey Flowers penalties. But, you know, he has a saying like losers focus on the outcomes that they can't control and winners focus on the outcomes that they can control. And, and there were definitely things in that Lions game. And, and I could say almost right off the first drive that um, I knew that we weren't going to get a win. Um, you know, you can say it's hindsight bias, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you know, it's, it's really the things where you didn't convince me we were going to win in the beginning. Um, that's really where my head was at. And I was sitting with my roommate watching the game who is a Packers fan. And he was, you know, saying, wow, you guys are off to a hell of a start. You know, you don't seem so excited and like all this. And this is when it was 13 to nothing. And I looked at him. I said, yeah, well, the way we're playing right now, it's the same old Lions. So we're, you know, we're up 13 points, had three trips inside the red zone and got 13 points out of it. Like on the road in a huge division game. Um, versus Aaron Rodgers, a fully healthy defense that they have revamped now. I didn't see our offense continuing the way it did. 
Um, nor did I think that 13 points and three red zone possessions were going to cut it. Uh, simply had to at least get 17 um, out of those three red zone possessions. 13 just simply left the door wide open. Two touchdowns for Aaron Rodgers, or really in the NFL in general, can take literally less than a minute if you incorporate an onside kick um, towards the end of the game. So 13 points is nothing in the NFL. They should have at least gotten 17, realistically 21. Um, the opening play, Marvin Jones, or excuse me, uh, Kenny Galladay on the flea flicker, it was awesome. Like, what a hell of a start. But that's great and all, but it practically does the same thing as driving 40 yards up the field, burning a little bit of clock if you're just going to get a field goal out of it in the, you know, at the end of the day. So that was kind of my first red flag was, you know, we have a big play and then we follow it up with, you know, just a poor red zone possession and get a field goal out of it. So I goes, okay, I'm like, awesome. We got points on the first series, but man, that would have been really nice to get seven. Next possession ended up punching in with carry on Johnson, which I'm not sure if he even got in. I, I want to say he was, but regardless, um, you got it down to the one yard line. You were to go for it either way. At least you better have. Um, and they did and, and, and they got it in. So, you know, kudos to the offense for getting coming back getting seven, but then, you know, the third time they get another field goal, TJ Hawkinson, first round draft pick, you know, drops a touchdown and I'm not trying to rip on the kid, but is he the number eight pick in the draft from what we've seen thus far? Like, absolutely not. Like to me, he is a second rounder. Um, it's, <laughs> it just puzzles me that the Lions went out, signed Jesse James to what I think was like a $21 million contract for three years, and then followed that up with signing a tight end. Like, yes, they're two different tight ends. James is more of a blocker, while Hawkinson is more of the route runner, kind of hybrid tight end. Um, but it just really, to this day, it just kind of bothers me that we took Hawkinson at eight while we could have improved our linebacker play. Um, or even for this matter, what we're seeing is our defensive line isn't all we thought it was going to be. So... Uh, you know, I expect more out of a number eight overall pick. He's dropped lots of balls um, in the last three games or so. I know that one versus the Chiefs, he got concussed on, hurt his shoulder on. There was a couple crossing routes in the game before that. And then the drop touchdown versus Green Bay. Like, you know, you're, if you're the eighth pick, you have a microscope on you, and willingly so, you got to make more plays. And I'm getting a little sick of the drops already. I don't think it's something that people have been talking about. Like, credit the defense in these plays or whatever have you. But if, if you want to be regarded and heralded and, you know, praised as a number eight overall pick, you got to come down with these balls. So not to harp too much on TJ Hawkinson, but would just like to see a little bit of improvement there, which we, the whole reason we drafted him was the sure-handedness. So just a little concerning there. But overall, um, it goes much deeper than that. So, you know, the Lions got 13 points on three red zone possessions in the first quarter. I wasn't too hype about it. When that third field goal happened, I was like, guys, like we're going to lose this game. You can't score 13 points for Aaron Rodgers on the road and expect to win. You just can't. And what we've seen out of our defense all year is they start really strong, and then towards the fourth, they kind of wane off. I don't know if this is a play calling, dropping back in coverage, like that game versus Kansas City. They did the rush three on the fourth and eight. It's weird. It's almost like MSU football and the Lions football have a lot of things in common right now. Um, not talking about offense, but primarily defense. Um, so yeah, I guess where I'm trying to come from overall is you got to look in the mirror and you got to look at the things you can control and, and that's scoring, executing red zones, you know, carry on Johnson, not dropping that third and two out route, um, which I thought was a completion and a fumble out of bounds ended up being reversed to an incompletion. That was huge in the fourth quarter and we were driving 
Um, and that was a hurry-up play that Stafford saw, because on the play before, it was the exact same play to Ty Johnson, or excuse me, to the fullback, um, Bowden, or I forget what his name is, and he didn't look for it. Stafford noticed the coverage. It looked like they're in the same coverage. He went to the hurry-up offense and ran the exact same play to carry on Johnson, um, which was the right thing to do. Um, it was just a huge point in the game. you got to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, you know, if we catch that pass, we burn a little bit more clock, so on and so forth. So, um, and, and, and on this note about what you can control and what you can't control, I personally do not think that Marvin Jones, um, what could have been a catch was pass interference on the defense. Yes, his arm came across his body, but, like, he didn't shove him to the ground or anything like that. Like, I thought that was a good no call. Um, I thought the first chance to the face was a penalty on Trey Flowers, if you watch it. Um, what ESPN has been failing to do, or news outlets in general, is on the first one, they show the point where he's grabbing his shoulder pads um, right at the neck area, but they don't show the full um, progression of that. What happens is at the end, when he kind of completely turned the corner, he does shove up and get him right in the chin strap. So that was a hands to the face. But the second one was ridiculous, right? And, and if you read the article, which I did, I forget where I read it. It was on the free press, I believe. Um, Batari, whatever the left tackle's name is on Green Bay, went up to the referees, uh, I believe in the third or fourth quarter, and said, are we not calling hands to the face anymore? Um, the next drive, two were called against Trey Flowers on Batiari, the left tackle, who went and complained. So little suspicion there might go in a little bit in line with Kelly Stafford's theory that Vegas is controlling the games, the, the refs are, or whatnot. So it, it's a little strange, right? But, like, as Lions fans, we're used to this. Like, you have to almost account for the fact that you can give up three to seven points based on refereeing, um, based on things not going your way so on and so forth. It's a sad reality, but you have to be able to look in the mirror and improve on things you can control. Um, that starts with discipline, including the 12 men on the field uh, on the field goal that led to a Green Bay touchdown. Like There was a lot of little things in that game, and overall it'd be discipline and converting um, that <laughs> we shouldn't have been up like 28 to nothing at halftime. And, and I'll tell you what, less than 60 yards in the second half isn't going to cut it in an NFL game to win on the road, divisional rival, uh, first place in the NFC North. You can't get 60 yards out of your offense in the second half with Aaron Rodgers um, not leading the game and him. You know he's going to go bananas on offense. Like you have the, the one of the biggest Lions problems is, and I thought we kind of got over this or like saw like an eclipse or turning the page um, with this organization's philosophy is like it seems like when we get up by 10 points, it's like okay, that's good enough. Like let's just pedal to the metal and like, or excuse me, not pedal to the metal, just like keeping our foot on the gas, but like not like putting it pedal to the metal. Like we get satisfied with the lead and then we just try and play drain clock. And like, you're not in a lead enough defense or offense or just organization overall to be doing those kind of things. That's a new England Patriots um, kind of thing and, and all the credit to them. And um, that's the difference between an elite team and a good team. And they can hold on to leads and the lions have led in every single fourth quarter this year. And we have two losses and a tie to show for it. So you know, overall, just control the things you can control. Clean up the little things. We've been seeing it for years. These penalties, these drop passes. Like, you have to fix those things before you start complaining about referee. Um, who do I think is going to win the NFC North? I think it will be Green Bay. Um, I told some of my buddies before the season even started, preseason that even is, that Green Bay is going to win the Super Bowl this year. I stick by it. I think there was a lot of slander, including myself, on Aaron Rodgers' name the past season. Um, I still to this day, I think he's a really, really good quarterback. I think he comes up in the clutch big time. He has won Super Bowl in a time where the NFL really wasn't that strong. 
Um, but to me, he's one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the, in the entire NFL's history. I, there's such a huge narrative around him being so great. Um, and he is, but to say he's like one of the best ever is like absolutely asinine to me. I don't even put him in my top five. Um, that's just me personally. So I, it's kind of contradictory of what I'm saying, um, that they're going to win the NFC North and win the, in the, win the Super Bowl. But for the first time in a long time, Aaron Rodgers has a good defense. Um, and, and they showed up in the second half versus the Lions when the Lions had less than 60 yards. They made their adjustments, and they were really bullying us around in the second half. So, yeah, I got the Packers winning the NFC North and the Super Bowl. I think the Lions will end up in last place. Unfortunately, it's not a matter of them being bad. It's just a matter of the division being really good. And the Lions have a history of not going on the road in divisional games and winning. And, and that's going to be huge here as, you know, we're 2-2-1 two, two and one, um, heading into, you know, heavy division play. I just don't see a scenario where the Lions get into the playoffs at all, unfortunately. Um, okay, so that's kind of my mini Lions, you know, Green Bay slash overall outlook. Um, you know, please feel free to comment, text me, um, and let me know what's up. Or do you agree? Do you disagree with what I just said? Um, and so on and so forth. So anyway, turning the page, uh, going towards the Pistons. I've been a huge Pistons fan since I was a little kid, watched... Um, all the games from about eight years old until I graduated high school, and then Pistons really started to suck towards my end of my high school. So I fell off a tad, but was always like one of the kids who always was like into the NBA and into basketball overall. Um, so it was important for me to always keep an eye on my hometown Pistons. You know, you can you can't only be on them when they're winning championships in '04 and you know going to playoffs. Like you got to go through those dog years to kind of keep up with the culture, keep up with the team, and really be a head-on analysis person about it. Um, and I'm, I'm excited about the Pistons this year. You know, they, I think last year they had a tough season, um, both with just too much load on Blake Griffin, which you can't be doing with his health and um, his age right now. He, they had to go out and get some help. So, you know, they went out, they got D. Rose, they got Snell, um, they got Morris, and uh, they drafted Sekou. Uh, so, you know, we got a little bit of help there. Um, I think D. Rose looks really, really good. I think Reggie Jackson looks god-awful. Like, he, he's so slow and just has no crossovers and doesn't move the needle or shift the defense or any. Like, he literally does nothing out there. But take the ball up, do his little two-hop step, setting up the offense once he crosses midcourt, passes it, you know, lazily, lazy, runs away. And then if he's open, he'll hook up a push shot three. Like, he just does nothing for me, and I don't think the defense respects his game at all. So it's not going to open up passing lanes. It's not going to open up, you know, jump shooters. So um, just kind of getting right into it, I would start Derrick Rose. I understand there's a concern about his minutes and his injuries in the past and so on and so forth, but he didn't bring this guy here to for two years to just, you know, make little do out of him and give him 15 minutes a night. Like, at this point, the Pistons have to go all in or bust because – it's almost like they made the Blake Griffin trade and then never put the cherry on top. Like you knew bringing Blake Griffin here was going to make us a better team. It obviously has, but if you don't add like pieces to that or change the formula a little bit, it's pretty much all for nothing. So they've got to be at this time where they're all in or bust. And to me, putting in D Rose, he has a higher ceiling. He's going to move the defense more. He's a better passer. He's a better attacker. He's a better shooter. He's a better finisher. He's literally a better everything than Reggie Jackson. So Keeping him on the bench doesn't make sense to me other than people's argument will be, well, he brings scoring off the bench, and him and Kennard look really good. You know what my solution to that is? Start him and Kennard. Like, I don't understand why this notion is that they can't play together on the starting lineup. Do it. 
It is Canard's third year. It is time for him to break out. It is time for Rose to move the needle. We already know what we're getting out of Reggie, and it's not enough. Start those two. Put Bruce Brown at the three, so you have another guy who can defend in kind of Canard's absence in that way, uh, but can also handle the rock and give uh, give the team another ball handler out there and someone who can cut and finish and all that. So my starting lineup is Derek Rose, Luke Canard, Bruce Brown, uh, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, and I know that's not what it's going to be. It's going to be Reggie Jackson, Bruce Brown, Tony Snell, Griffin, and Drummond. But to me, if you want to see actual significant change and not just be a 45 win, you know, 38, between 38 and 45 win team, like you got to do some things that are going to change and move the needle. And this whole Andre Drummond, Reggie Jackson ordeal is not going to do that. Um, it's, it's worth rolling the dice. It's worth trying out a different lineup and hell, you know, you get the AC at again, like, so be it. And the Blake Griffin experiment is probably all but over. And then it kind of goes into my, my point about the, what I've been adamant about over the last few months on Twitter was about the Seku draft choice. Like that just makes absolutely zero sense to me. Why would you go out and get this young 17, 18 year old Seku who has never played like versus college competition, bring him into a team that is, you know, essentially peaking with the roster that they have, their time frame window is like a year or two. He doesn't look to like he's getting any like dude can't even get minutes in the preseason from Dwayne Casey. He's definitely not gonna get minutes in the regular season then. But then how does that help this team overall? Like I don't understand like why you would go out and get like a long term piece for a team that has their best player in a contract or second to best player drumming in a contract year and then Griffin with two years left on his deal with the with the option on the final year. So you're, you're coming to an end of this um, Griffin roster experiment, and instead of adding or helping to that experiment, you decided to turn the page and look long-term instead. So what does it say to me? Well, it says to me that if, you know it's fine if uh, management wants to do that, because let's be, let's be real, at the end of the day, the Pistons aren't winning at all. But then you need to trade Griffin. You need to not offer Drummond. Like If your long-term play is Seku here in, say, five years, well, or where he might be off his rookie contract anyway and go play for a new team and shine like we've seen a la Chris Middleton. Like the two just don't timeline wise don't match up to me. And it's, it's why I've been very critical of the Pistons draft this year. Um, as well as at 30, you know, you could have Kevin Porter jr. Who's like a stud. Like you're telling me the Pistons couldn't use like a wing shoot and D kind of guy. Like that's ridiculous. Like we're out here playing Langston Galloway in the second string unit shooting guard. I would much rather have like a Kevin Porter jr. Um, in that position. So we traded that away. We had Jordan Bone, who we traded picks for, who's not even going to make the roster. Don't understand that move either. And we brought in the Servetus kid, who like hasn't even seen minutes in the preseason at all. I don't think he's even been on the bench. So I think the organization as a whole is kind of confused on what they want to do. They're like, all right, well, we have Blake here. Like, Do we want to win now with Blake? Um, or do we want to just like set ourselves up for the future? And my response to that is, like, you should try and win with Blake now. He was a all-NBA team player, and there's only so many like him in the entire league, and you have him on your team. Don't waste this opportunity um, and go for it. Like You literally have nothing to lose. You've done nothing since about 2008, 2009. So it, what's, what's it going to kill? Like It's not going to hurt anything to go out there. You should have drafted someone who was well-established. You should have drafted another player at 30. You should have not, a, not drafted Bone, not traded for Servitas, so on and so forth. They're just a conflict of interest to me in terms of the timeline and the organizational thinking. And I understand that stems from, um, you know, lots of different management changes and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, this, this team's in trouble. You know, there's, there's too much young, too much old, too much um, roster figuring outing. And it's just kind of a mess right now. So 
Um, you know, what's general expectation for this team? I, I think this team will be a seven seed. Um, I, I think they'll get bounced in the first round if they don't make some significant changes. Um, they just have way too many young guards, and there's just way too much, um, you know, up in the air. Like, am I going to play? Am I not? Like, there needs to be a better rounded and well, better established roster um, right now. And, you know, I, I think the people that need to go, I don't keep Svi on the team. Um, people on Twitter are like, he's 6'8", he's athletic, he does this and does that. Yeah, well, he looks like a, you know, a deer in headlights when he's out there to me. Um, he was he wasn't even good at Kansas. He was primarily like a shooter. I'm not even sure how he's in the NBA to be completely frank. Um, he he's not a personality that improves a locker room. Um, who someone like Joe Johnson would, in my opinion. Either way, between the two of them, um, those are probably like to me the last two. Um, if I was a GM fighting for that roster spot, and I keep Joe Johnson in the sense where the veteran presence um, and contribution kind of gives you a warmth and a comfort compared to a kid on the floor who like isn't really shifting the needle much, isn't you know, kind of adding to the culture of the Pistons from what I've seen from the outside um, looking in. Uh, I, I keep Joe Johnson there. I think Christian Wood absolutely has to make the team. I actually think he's better than Andre Drummond um, overall, not just you people are stats. Oh, Andre Drummond averages 15 and 15. Yeah, well, he gets like six rebounds on one possession when he misses three layups to begin with. So you could, you, if, you, if you're stats people, you can just like not even listen to this podcast because I absolutely hate like stats, saber metrics, like all that kind of crap. Like watch the actual games. Don't just be a ESPN.com stats box score kind of guy. Um, that's all I got to say on that regard. So, um, you know, like I said, 7C, they'll get bounced in the first round. Um, I just think there's too much conflict of interest about do we want to win now, do we want to win in a year, do we want to win in five years. So I think they got to make a couple, couple roster moves. Uh, I know Buddy Heald is looking around right now. He's not liking what Sacramento's getting. You guys can throw that out the window. We're not getting Buddy Heald. Uh, one person I did hear about was Frank Nidalekina. Um, I don't think that – I think that move's good in a sense where, you know, we bring in a guard who's good at defense, kind of lanky, kind of adds to our, you know, kind of bucks esque roster look with Maker, um, Christian Wood, and Sekou. Um, I just don't see how that really improves our team overall unless you could get a Taj Gibson in the deal too who would help out tremendously with offensive rebounding with the second unit. Um, so yeah, and I also heard that the red uniforms are coming back this year, so that's pretty sick. Um, yeah, so that's all, that's about all I have for today's episode. Just kind of wanted to rattle off a couple Pistons and Lions things for you real quick. Um, I'll be doing some of these shorter episodes moving forward. I think it's better engagement rate with the audience, um, and just kind of gets to the point quicker. So anyway, it's, it's great to be back and talking about, um, you know what I love to do and, that, and that's talking sports so I hope all you enjoyed the episode today and you know comment on my Twitter or wherever I may post this um, and tell me you know what what do you want to hear in next episode you know do you agree with some of the things I say do you disagree so on and so forth so thanks so much for listening guys um, it's been a pleasure bar time anytime <laughs>